raising these children, Father. And so we, it is with great celebration. We thank you for the ministry of Focus on the Family, the, the unexpected privilege of having them represented here this morning. And uh, we just pray you will continue to bless them. And clearly, you have utilized them in such a significant way in the lives of literally hundreds of thousands of people, Father. May they continue to sense your direction as uh, they learn each year by year how best to minister in the countries in which they are serving. And we pray, Father, for courage for young people who will be bringing their Bibles to school this, uh, later this week and ask that, that that new event that is rolling and gaining steam now after a few years, Father, that it also will bear tremendous fruit even this week. And now, Lord, we open your word. We pray that you might be our teacher by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, during the course of this last election year, I found myself um, aware, at least to me, for the first time of, uh, we seem to be one of those moments when all these new words started coming our way. And I don't know whether they're going to fade from our discussion. For the most part, we will long remember them. But the one that kept showing up during the course of the election was this alt-right. Maybe to some of you, it's a word well-known. But all of a sudden, I keep seeing this alt-right. And I'm going, what is that? Well, I understand it now, as well as the other thing that's come in has been the Antifa or Antifa or however you pronounce it. I had never seen that word. Now it's everywhere, okay? And so that's a new one that has also come in in the last year, as well as fake news came along, and now that's a part of our lexicon. And then, of course, how often did any of us, I mean, we knew the word, but how often were any of us using the word over and over and over called collusion, right? Oh, boy, now that's all right there in the forefront of our lexicon. Well, this happens time to time. Language changes and things become uh, an issue. And for those of you who can relate to somebody of my generation, and it's, I realize it's getting to be fewer and fewer who can, you'll recall back in the late 60s, we too had our own little cadre of, of words that now are just quaint. But you guys recall that rather than saying that something, if it, we thought it was pretty fascinating or interesting, you know, it's like, that's a neat idea, we would just say, far out. Yeah, we didn't say awesome, it was far out. And if there was something that we thought was, you know, kind of cool, we go along with it, everything's sweet. You guys remember, <laughs> groovy. In fact, we wrote songs, right? Hello, lampposts, what you know, and who come to watch your flowers grow, and ain't you got no rhymes for me, looking for fun and feeling? Groovy, Groovy. yeah, okay. Come on, all you old hippies, sing it with me. La-da-da-da-da-da-da. You know it, right? Of course. Words make no sense in that, but hey, it was there, and we didn't care. If we felt we were making a statement in agreement with some just issue, right on, baby, right on. We'll push for that. And then there were, of course, the one that had its own sign with it was peace, peace. Another one that was out there, and I honestly don't know whether or not, was this national or is this tending to be more in the Chicago area where I was at the time? But we would say, as we were leaving somebody, we might just wave at them and say, keep the faith. Keep the faith. 
Which now I look back and say, like, yeah, I was cool. I said things like, keep the faith. Now I look at it, what did we mean by that statement? What was the faith that we were keeping? We're making, I'm assuming, an assumption that whatever we believed the faith was worth keeping, that person we're talking to is believing the same thing. But I never heard anybody once try and define what the faith we're keeping is. Well, as we come to Hebrews chapter 11, there really is this exhortation behind it that is saying to us, keep the faith. And I find that as the chapter opens up, it's every bit as confusing to me as what we meant back in the late 60s when we said, keep the faith. So we're going to dig into it. We're going to take a few weeks to look at Hebrews chapter 11. And as we begin to open it up, let's remind ourselves that at the end of chapter 10, the writer had given us a very strong exhortation not to back away from the faith, but to by faith to enter in fully with complete devotion to Jesus Christ. Move in, hang on, link up, do not abandon this. Because to abandon this belief, to abandon his faith, has with it serious and sad consequences. So, uh, so instead he, he finishes with those, um, we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the faith. We move in, or to the saving of the soul. We move in by faith, fully to embrace what it is God is doing in Jesus Christ. And having said that, that we are those who believe to the saving of the soul, we're going to believe this to the very end, he then begins this discussion about faith, which will take actually a little more than the entire chapter. He begins with this statement, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen which is a wonderful statement. But I have been spending weeks trying to understand what exactly is he saying here? And I was glad to come across one of the favorite commentaries to which I will refer from time to time to have the writer there say, it's kind of hard to know exactly what he's saying right here, that, okay, I'm not alone in wrestling with this. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. What does that mean? Particularly when we can look at that exact same word used two other places in the book of Hebrews. This will open it up for us, won't it? Sure. It's going to help us a real lot when we turn to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, and we find out that the same word that is in the original language, the word is hypostasis. It literally means placed under. Placed under. It's two parts. We have so many of those in the Greek language. This compound word, placed under, from Hebrews chapter 3, says that Jesus Christ who is the express image of his person. Now, I understand that conceptually, but the word in the original that was, that here is substance, was there the word person in the first 
in, in the first instance it was used. So it meant person here. Okay. And then when we get over to Hebrews chapter 3 verse 14, we're told not to put off our confidence, not to abandon our confidence. It's like, okay, so what is it? Is it person? Is it confidence? Or is it substance? Difficult word to understand. Now, there is a common thought that comes through all of that, and the common thought has to do with that which is placed under, that which in some way undergirds things. So if, if, uh, when we look at Christ, we see that's what's, what is placed under him or what is, what is supporting what the issue is there is the very personhood of God is being seen in him. Okay, so that's what's there, all right? So I, I can feel that a little bit. And I understand what's a sense of confidence and that it's this thing that is, that is um, it, it's under, it undergirds what it is we believe. It undergirds, our, okay, so I can kind of get that a little bit. That's a confidence, this thing that we can stand on. And then we come to say that faith is the substance of things hoped for. And I'm like, I don't know where you are going with that. And some translators will just use it as assurance, that kind of thing, but it comes back to that, that faith is what is under. But if you think about faith being what's under, the things we're hoping for, it's like, well, it's supporting what... No, that doesn't make sense, that faith supports what we hope for. What we hope for is its own thing. And it stands on its own, so difficult to understand. But we're going to work with it, because I don't think we need to leave here completely confused. But stay with me now, all right? The statement also in verse 1 has two parts to it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Well, what is that? What is that structure? Are things that are hoped for being put in contrast or in addition to things that are not seen? Some people will say, here's, here's what they're looking at. The things which are hoped for is those promises, that inheritance that is ours somewhere down the road when one day we enter into eternity. When Jesus returns and he brings with us, all, with him, all these blessed things that will be ours. Those are the things which are hoped for. But the things which are not seen are the things which presently are real. We just can't see them. Things like forgiveness, love, those kinds of elements. They're every bit as real, but you can't see them. And they're realized presently. So is that what that is saying? It's, it's, hey, it's both and. Or as somebody else wants to say, hey, this is simply Hebrew poetry. And if you understand Hebrew poetry, they will make us often... Uh, the way they don't rhyme things by words, they instead will make a statement and then they will restate it in some way or do something with a restatement. And, and some will just say, oh no, it's n- nothing new here from one part to the next. It's just a restatement. It's Hebrew poetry. That's, why it, that's what it means there. So you go, man, I don't understand the definitions. I'm not sure that it's clear in terms of the structure of how this thing goes together. But I believe Though it's hard to figure it out just from looking at the words, I believe the writer to the book of Hebrews wants us to understand clearly what he's getting at. Because the next statement that he says is, for by it, that is by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. Now that's going to lead us into the rest of the chapter, friends. If we don't have a sense yet as to I'm clear about what he means when faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, 
understand the rest of the chapter is going to deal with this. By it, the elders obtained a good testimony. Because when you get to the second to the last verse, a summary statement in chapter 11, the writer will say this, And all these having obtained a good testimony through faith. So that thought is going to be carried this. I want us to get that out there, that there's a point, if you're familiar with Hebrews 11, you use all these recountings of people and their own experience of faith. And so that is going to give us some insight in understanding what it is he's saying about faith. And out of that, hopefully, we can lay down the first principle. I I hope to find at least share three with us as we move through this chapter uh, throughout the next few weeks. And that first thing that I think we'll be able to grab this morning is this, if you mark your notes, faith points us in the right direction. You might be looking at that going, I have no idea how you get that right now. But stay with me for a few moments, if you will. That faith points us in the right direction. Faith, first of all, as you get to verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. And here's where I believe he's giving us a hint as to where he's going. You've got to stay with me here, friends, because it's very abstract. In making that statement, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are, are seen were not made of things which are visible. Somehow, there's an invisible element that has been made real and material in the creation of the world. We went from this thing which can't be seen, but the result of it is we definitely can see what's around us, can't we? There is a world around us, and it got here somehow. And by faith, we wind up understanding Okay, at least this much is what I want you to grasp. From the unseen, immaterial, to something that is real. Will you go with me that far? That's what I'm asking you to grasp. I think that's what he might be hinting at there. Because that doesn't deal with a particular individual. In fact, it says, by faith we understand. I think he's trying to perhaps tell us this. We're used to looking at something. We're, we're, We're able to receive that which was... It didn't seem to have this material source in it, and yet it's material somehow. Things which we see are made from things which are not seen. We can accept this. We grasp this. We go, okay, now let's carry that a step further. All right. Chapter, or chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. It was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that, the, uh, <coughs> excuse me, that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. And we'll deal with this more in the future. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So the first two characters that that he brings forth before us. Remember he said the elders obtained a good testimony. We're going to read about these elders for an entire uh, chapter pretty much now. It says in, in, the case of, in, in, the, in the case of Abel, 
He understood something. Abel understood something of significance. Something that the question of bringing a sacrifice was not simply a matter of this, this, hey, I brought some stuff, God. You ought to be happy with it. Like, to a degree, it feels like that's what Cain did. I brought some stuff. What more do you want? But Abel is able to see there's something that is invisible that is at work here. Something invisible that is important here that he could grasp. There's more to this than just this, hey, here's the stuff, God. You ought to be happy with it. So he saw something. Enoch saw this, whatever this is, to the degree that he was so responsive to it. He, he pleased God in his life that God didn't even let him see death. And God just took him. But there was something that they were grasping. Chapter, or verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen. Divinely warned of things not yet seen. Moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah believed that there's something more than what I can only see. Yes, there's going to be a flood. (laughs) What's a flood? There's going to be rain. What's rain? It's all going to come in a way that had never happened before. But he was able to grasp that there is something real. And even though I can't see it, it's going to be here in a very real way. Let's keep going if we can. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. He couldn't see that place where God was taken. He had never been away from Ur of the Chaldees and now was going to come down uh, into the southern part where the promised land would eventually be. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Abraham was able to see something. He was able to have a sense that there is something there, although he can't see it. He's not there, but he's, he's going to leave her, the Chaldees. And there is a promise. There's a promise that he is going to become a great nation. And he could see this great nation in some fashion. He could understand. It's not real right now. I can't touch it. It's yet in the future. But it was real to him. It was real through the faith that he had so that he acted upon it interesting that Sarah is mentioned because if you know the story of Sarah you know that she actually laughed at this challenge this first or or this idea that she would give birth because they're long past age of giving birth to children and that this great nation is going to come but apparently she came to a point where after maybe she was you know challenged a little bit by some angels that had visited uh, she did come to understand yes this thing that seems so impossible 
is a reality that is going to happen. And so by faith, they move on and they go forward. Here's what I'd like us to consider in looking at those verses, friends. Here's what faith does. And this begins to give us this feel of here's how it is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith links the immaterial world. Here's the first step. Faith links the immaterial world, that stuff of God that we cannot see, some of it is promised as part of a future hope, but we can't see it. And some of it is present, as I mentioned, these ideas of the love, the forgiveness, these types of things that, are, that, we, that we tie into our understanding of this faith experience. Faith links this, this immaterial world to our internal world. Where it now is a reality to us. It now is something that is, we're so aware of it that God has promised this and we are believing him. That's as good as a done deal. Faith links the immaterial world with our internal world so we can live differently in the physical world. And that's how faith is active. Notice verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them. They weren't fulfilled in their lifetime. In fact, they died before the fulfillment of these promises. That they were sure that these promises would be fulfilled because they could see them. By faith, they were able to to envision them far off and yet coming their way in God's time. They embraced them and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. How is faith the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen? The example of these elders who received this good testimony is that as they received God's promises and they believed God's promises, they became so real to them that they now lived for something entirely different. Now there was always that possibility, there was always that that, that maybe even a tendency at times when things seemed difficult. To look back at what they had had before. We think of Abraham. Maybe go, man, this thing isn't working out the way we thought it was supposed to work out. Maybe we ought to go back to Ur of the Chaldees. Maybe we ought ought to go back to where we were from. But by faith, they had so gotten hold of what God was doing 
that they were able to say, no, we're not seeking it in this world anymore. Ur of the Chaldees, the old life is not the answer. There's only one answer for what we seek, and that is to move forward by faith, trusting God that this thing which he has promised, this thing which is hoped for, is going to come. And we believe it's going to come, and therefore we are able to continue to walk on this path. So faith links the immaterial world of God's promises, the things which are hoped for, the things which are, are not seen with our internal world. It, it, it enlivens in us an ability to grasp that, to see it, to know its reality so we can live differently in the physical world and now my priorities change. Because I'm living for something different now that I've come to faith. In Jesus Christ. Because I know God is doing something different than what this world is ever going to provide. And so we're, we're left with this thing. And he says they realized they were nothing but strangers and pilgrims. Do you not feel that, my brother and my sister? This world is not what we are about. This world, in the direction that we see it's going, has nothing of blessing for you And for me, this world is caught up with a dark system headed by the dark kingdom whose leader comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. It's not out for our benefit. The evil one isn't isn't the ruler, the principality of the air for our benefit. It's for his own. He wants to be like the Most High and he's never going to give us redeeming things that bring wholeness and fullness and goodness back into our lives. And when we come to realize that, when we understand finally, oh, this is the hope that God has set before us. This is the work to which God is calling us. This is the transformation that he's making for us. These are the promises that ours that one day Jesus Christ will return and he's going to rule on the throne of David. And he's going to set this world aright and the day will come when he is going to put down every enemy and they will all be made his footstool. That's what we live for. And that's real. It's real. And so faith changes our entire perspective about how we operate in this world. And that's why I say faith points us in the right direction. No longer Am I going to live for this? I'm living for something different. I, I, just a couple of last thoughts. Oh, we're just going to be done. I recall years ago, a man who had a huge influence on both Lori and my life. He was serving the, the Displays Bible Church at the time when we met and um, was early on in our, in our courtship and uh, did premarital counseling with us, a guy by the name of Craig Massey. And he spoke, I recall, on this topic of the relationship between faith and hope. And I don't remember if it was particularly this passage, but the way he put it is hope is faith in the future. The hope that we have is we're believing that in the future something good is going to come our way. And I understand that, that, you know, a simple way for us to work with something. But as I've contemplated this and the illustration that we're given of these, of these, uh, of the elders who had a good testimony, who were able to see something far off and live like it's real now. I thought maybe I would rather tweak that rather than hope is faith in the future. 
I would rather look at it this way. Faith is hope in the present. Those things that we hope for, those things that are promised, that we can see afar off, by faith, it's like they come, and they're right here. And I can live knowing they're every bit as real as if I could step right into them right now. Faith is hope in the present in that the things for which we hope are brought close to us, the reality is there, and they energize our life. That's just one thought. Now let's just think about if we don't have this new direction If faith hasn't transformed us so that we live differently relative to this world, we live for a a new world that is promised and it's present, without this new direction, I believe at least some things would be true. We're going to be driven either by instinct, which will always be self-protection. It will be the safe approach. this this world is a dark place. It's a tough place. So what am I going to do? I'm going to live my life in such a way I can build all the walls of protection around it I can to make sure I somehow survive because this can be brutal here. So that's one thing. We're going to be driven either by instinct, and I would guess it moves between the two, and there may be even some others you'll come up with, or by appetite. But hey, self-indulgence, man. It's about what I want. Living life my way. Here's the world. It's my life. Don't tell me what to do with it, anyone. It's my reality. And I will do with it what I want. Thank you. And we have people, you know, we had somebody die this week. They built an entire empire based on that reality. Hey, it's your life. Live it the way you want. They learned this week that that was a philosophy not worth following. But that's where we're going to go. And here's a thought. Because when we get there, it's all about us surviving, right? How about this? We don't live for survival here. We live for arrival there. That's what we look to. Faith. Active in our lives. Will make real that that thing in which we hope to arrive is absolute reality. We might not be able to see it, but it's real. Which is why I believe he started with that, you know, we were able to see that the things which we see were not made from things uh, which we can see, or how did he put it? Not things that are visible, okay? Things which are visible, not made from things which we can see. He's given us a hint This is what this is going to be about. The very outset. We accept it relative to the creation. We can believe that. And now we believe it about something more. What is the end to which God is calling us as believers? What is that hope? What are those unseen things to which he has said, these are here. Live for them. And we are able to do so by faith. Father, I know it's, I know it's somewhat of an abstract concept. And Lord, I know, 
hours upon hours wrestling with trying to understand how to grasp this text and how to communicate it. But Father, there is a reality that is resident in you. There is a reality of promises and of hopes that are resident in you that are absolutely real whether our limited understanding can perceive them. But by faith, you enable us to grasp these things. May we not be afraid, Lord, to continue to lock on to you and to say, Lord, I'm going to believe you to the end. I am not turning back. And I'm going to move forward into these things that you, you have promised for all of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ. Make it real to us, I ask, Lord, this day. In Jesus' name, amen.